Welcome to It's a Nice Place to Brew with Jason and George, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly. Welcome to A Nice Place to Brew. I'm Jason. And I'm George. Welcome, everybody. Great to be here. Time of this recording is the middle of October on a Monday, and uh, George is getting a small taste of bachelor life. Oh, yeah, no. She travels. <laughs> she does that. Is this the first show that you've ever recorded inside your actual house? No. No, I've done this a couple times. Um, no, usually when she's away, but no, I've definitely done this a couple times. <laughs> The reason I can bring that up is because George and I were just testing out some new uh, video technology, which we hope will improve some future episodes. Our test did not go quite as planned tonight, so we're going to have to pump that into a later episode. So, yeah. So we're back to uh, back to a standard audio only format, at least for the time being. So. Anyways, George, how are you today? Doing all right. And if anybody misses the fact that, you know, we can do the live streams and whatnot, blame Google for deprecating Hangouts with YouTube. That's all I'm going to say <laughs> about that. Well said. Well said. Yeah. This is proving to be more complicated than it seems like it should. I think once we get the so, hang of it, it's going to be pretty smooth, but, you know, yeah. for now, yes. But we've already had to, we're having to add additional tech technology resources to put this together when yeah yeah so anyways anyway. I, I, w- I won't talk crap about google uh you know google kind of runs the world so well, I, I will want... <laughs> okay okay i don't know <laughs> google's a powerful company don't come after me please <laughs> bring it <laughs> bring <laughs> Anyways, um, this uh, this is episode 38. This is going to forever be known as the Sober October show. The only Sober October show. And I'll have, this will be. <laughs> yeah. This isn't an annual thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, fun, it's funny you should mention that. Before, before we get into the meat of the episode, and um, we've got a lot to talk about today. But I uh, I did a long hike yesterday with a good friend of mine who's also participating in said sober October, and we got to um, we got to talking about other challenges, and it just slipped right off the tip of my tongue that um, to just say to say to my friend, oh well that can be next year's sober October, and he looked at me and said. I don't think this is going to happen twice, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be one and done. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, your friend's a smart guy, whoever he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, okay, just to fill that in a little bit more, it is day 14. And yes, I have been 100% alcohol clean for 14 days. And I will keep going until 5 p.m. on Halloween. And, um, yeah, so, um, and, and nobody should worry. We've already made the obvious Seinfeld reference in that Jason is still master of his own domain. Master of his domain. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. That still plays in my head at least once a day throughout, (laughs) throughout this entire, this entire, this entire thing. So 
in, a, in, in, in accordance with another topic that we're going to talk about today, I have gone a different direction with this okay. whole Sober October in that I'm not doing it. So I do have a beer here that I am going to be drinking tonight. It's called the Greater Pumpkin. It is Ooh. a pumpkin ale brewed with pumpkin and spices aged in bourbon barrels. It's out of Heavy Seas Beer in Balmer, Maryland. And let's see. Do you see, have an alcohol rating on it? It's barrel aged, so it's got to be high. You'd think, right? Yeah. Um, it, but it doesn't have one on it. I can try to look it up real quick. But uh, huh. but I imagine it is pretty high. But yeah. So I'm going to dr- be drinking that. And you had mentioned that you might have something that you could drink that you are calling beer? I do. As a matter of fact, I have two uh, 12-ounce cans right in front of my right in front of me on my desk right now. And if our technology worked, I could show you what said cans look like. <laughs> we could have more of a conversation, but it was not to be not to be done. Um go ahead. Uh let's let's hear the rest of uh are You looking it up? I am, and on their website, it says that is a 10% bourbon barrel-aged pumpkin ale. Oh, you're that going is, strong. That is only available September to October, and it says it should be drank in a snifter, which I do have with a certain brew club's logo on it, so I'm going <laughs> to go grab that. What's the size of this bottle that you have? It's a 12-er. Is it twelve? Okay, yeah, I was gonna yeah, say yeah. like if this is a twenty-two, this is gonna be a it's gonna be a heck of a show. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, by the end, I'm not gonna be able to. You know, but <laughs> no, it's definitely it's just a twelver. But I am gonna grab that uh, that snifter glass. I'll be right back. Okay. Okay. I still so you're got gonna you? drink that. Be- you're gonna drink that beer until the logo looks bigger. <laughs> until the logo looks bigger. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, every time I pull that that glass out, which I quite often do just for this effect, it really gets the goat of my uh, graphic designer wife. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny that I think it was four years ago now that we printed those glasses. There has not been an update done since. Oh, they really should. It's a great idea. Like considering that we've redesigned, we've redesigned the the club logo since that time, but no yeah. new glasses. Well, and they did a snifter glass before. They should do like a pilsner glass now, you know, or 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 something like that, you know. And just that's like, true. Over the course of a couple of years, you can have an entire you know glassware glass set. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Dude's got to go somewhere, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I got a comment about. I'll tell you. I, I I shouldn't share it here on the air. I'll I'll tell you off air something interesting about that though. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. So we got this Greater Pumpkin Pumpkin and Pumpkin Spice Beer in bourbon barrels, and it's poured into this glass. Carbonation is a little lower than I expected. What kind of spices are there? Just says pumpkin spice, like just pumpkin and spices added. That's all it says. Huh. Okay. You know, I'm a little disappointed. Okay. Okay. All right. And it's it's not a bad beer. Um, but and, and we're going to talk about this, but 
I'm really not getting a whole lot of bourbon barrel flavor at all, which is definitely billed out as a bourbon barrel beer. Wow, that was unexpected. I know. And the carbonation, like I said, is is there, but it's lower than it should be for this style. So I'm not sure what the deal is there. Hmm. As far as regular... So what flavors are prominent then? Yeah, that's why I am getting a little bit of that kind of squash flavor from the pumpkin. Very subtle spices. Not necessarily a bad thing, but... Uh, you can definitely tell that this was an aged beer because the spices have had a chance to mellow. And uh, maybe, honestly, maybe a little bit too much. Right when you gave the description of that beer, where my brain went to was the spices are going to be completely absent and the barrel is going to completely dominate that beer. And it was the exact opposite. It, well, it's not the exact opposite. The, the, the spices aren't quite there as, as I think they should be. Um, but the barrel definitely did not dominate. Wow. Well, I suspect that that was by design. I don't think that was an accident. And actually, I I give credit to the brewers for thinking of that. Mm-hmm. Thinking let's not let's not dominate this beer with with the barrel flavor at least as best we can. I'm sure what they probably did was they shortened the barrel aging time to to uh, accommodate that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's that's sad that, that even despite that effort that the spices aren't where they should be. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty accurate, unfortunately. So Yeah. All right. All so right. what about you, sir? All right. We are going to talk in pretty good detail today about non-alcoholic beer. And I have two non-alcoholic beers in front of me. And we're going to talk about this in detail. The first one that I'm sipping on is uh, is a coffee cream brew. It's called Intrepid Traveler. So we're going to talk. Both of these beers are uh, are from the same brewery, and it's under the same label. So there's a little brewery in Missouri called O'Fallon Brewery, which is not a new name. O'Fallon's been around for uh, around since 2000. They have some prominent uh, pumpkin-flavored beers that are on the market. Um, they have a, over 200,000 reviews on Untapped. This is a pretty this is a pretty storied brewery. Not I mean not not by any means just a small craft brewery in a small area. This is a, this is a prominent one. But anyways, um, they have a product line that they have on the market called Wellbeing, and so and that's written all over their cans. It's Wellbeing Brewing Company, and uh, it's it, it's uh, it's labeled as a proudly non-alcoholic malt beverage. Um, contains less than zero point five percent alcohol by volume, and if you're under zero point five, then you're underneath the legality of of beer. You're kind of a standard beverage at that point. Kombucha uh, comes into a uh, into a similar category where it's not branded or treated in the market as an alcohol product. So therefore, it's a little bit easier to distribute and uh, can appeal that way. So anyways, a little bit about uh, non-alcoholic beer before I go into this one. Um, when you th- hear non-alcoholic beer, you think of Odules. And you think of just some very... Uh, generic, poor-tasting beer um, because all that you love about the beer is not there. You know, the hop flavor, 
the malt flavor. It's it's all been effectively removed from the beer through the dealcoholization process, and uh, and you're left with just a liquid that's just really not doing the job. Um, a certain number of breweries, and O'Fallon has proven to be, to be one of those, had noticed that there was a big gap in the market with this because um, there are people that are that. Um, that are intrigued by craft beer and are interested in trying craft beer, but for whatever reason, uh, maybe they have health issues or maybe they're high-performing athletes and they just can't introduce alcohol into their regular diet. And there's a big part of the population that fits in with that. Well, that's a gap in the market. And they saw they saw an opportunity and um, they said, we want to create craft beer for, uh, for those people. So let's bring in all these flavors that that craft beer has been known to uh, try to create and let's let's make an alcohol free beverage for them so what these breweries are doing is they're taking a very regular brewing process from start to finish from mashing to boiling to post fermentation and then just doing small tweaks along the way which would allow them to um, remove the alcohol from the from the uh, beverage uh, through an easier process, um, oftentimes confidential um, method. Um, that's one thing I did find in my research before today's episode is there's there's a lot about these dealcoholization processes that are proprietary and breweries are not privy to talk about them. Hmm. Um. So anyways, back to my beer. Um, Bottom of the can says contains water, hops, malt, yeast, lactose, nutmeg, cinnamon, Hmm. and cloves. Hmm. Paint a pretty good picture here. These are things that I really enjoy. Um, All with with no alcohol. And um, I'm on my... I bought this six pack over the weekend and I think this is my second can that that I've had. And... These said flavors on the label are absolutely there. So to that end, I think this is a really successful um, venture for uh, for this brewery. Um, does it taste like beer? Yes. There's a little bit less bite to it, which you would kind of expect not having the alcohol. Um, but th- it is very clear to me that they made exactly what they set out to make. So I, I tip my hat to them for that. So you said this is the coffee cream stout, right? That is correct. Is it still that kind of malty flavor that you would expect from a... Yes, yes. Okay. It, it, you definitely have the, the malty flavor. And if it did not have that, I would be really disappointed. Uh, because it's there, I'm, I'm kind of enjoying this. Okay. So... Um, Going into process stuff for a second, um, traditional dealcoholization, which would be made in beers like Odules, um, the method that they would uh, that they would use to do that would be one of two things: either shorten the brewing process to arrest fermentation, uh, usually by cooling uh, very early on in the fermentation process, so you could stop the um, uh, yeast activity. Or the other option would be by heating away the alcohol after a full fermentation is completed. In both of these cases, the beer's flavor is compromised. Hence, uh, non-alcoholic beer has been widely unpopular 
for said reasons. You know what's interesting about that, though, is despite the lack of popularity of non-alcoholic beer for those same reasons, like nothing has changed in non-alcoholic beer in the last 20 plus years up until just now. Yeah, it's definitely something that, I mean, and for what some people are going to say, well, there's obvious reasons. There hasn't been a whole lot of thought into, let's make a really good non-alcoholic beer. So (laughs) it's just, I think it's just been one of those things that O'Doul's existed and a lot of people thought, well, that's good enough. You know, that. Um, Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I don't even know what company is behind O'Doul's. I should have looked that up before. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, Hang on. We can figure that out. Who duels beer? Yeah. Oh, it's it's of course our our buddies over at Anheuser Busch. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, um, Anheuser Busch certainly has their distribution channels well established. Mm-hmm. So they probably didn't feel motivated to make any changes because I imagine there's a limited amount of duels in a very high volume of liquor stores and gas stations and things like that. As a matter of fact, gas stations is probably way easier to sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, a non-alcohol beverage versus alcohol, that's, you know, you have much less barriers to entry. So, yeah, and that's part of my answer right there. Well, I guess that's becomes, and I don't know if you know this or not, but you said that the distribution is easier but because it's non-alcoholic beer does it effectively become like soda distribution or is there still restrictions on that um that's a good question uh i don't really know the ins and outs of soda distribution so i don't think i could i could say well i mean soda distribution like anybody can do it i mean up until when was that i want to say the 90s it used to be in the the corny kegs that that we use today for for soda, but now it's you know uh, sugar infused water, pressurized water, which is what is uh, what you're getting out of the soda fountains these days. But you know, I mean, you, you can call up Coke and you can have a machine in your in your place tomorrow. Is it that easy with O'Doul's, or because it's still technically a beer product? Is there still, you know, those restrictions? Do you have to have a liquor license and, and things like that to be able to serve it? That's a great question. Um, my inkling is they still have to follow some of those beer-specific guidelines. I'm thinking it might not be as strict, but that they still have to follow that, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, what you're saying about just, like, setting up a soda machine in a place, I can't imagine it being that easy to access O'Doul's. Not to mention, I can't imagine who would be that interested in O'Doul's. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, before we, uh, before we uh, get further into our uh, uh, other brews reviewed, because I do have another beer I want to talk about, um, but there was an article that I read uh, in preparation for the show that I want to, uh, I want to call out specifically. Um, and it's talking about a different brewery that's making non-alcoholic beer, and it's called Athletic Brewing Company out of Stratford, Connecticut. There was a uh, uh, article in the magazine Popular Mechanics uh, fairly recently that went very in-depth about the history of the brewery and also about the uh, process changes that they did to making 
the beer to remove the alcohol in a more effective way than breweries had in the past. Again, they did call out specifically that a lot of the process changes that they did are pr- proprietary, but they also did said that a lot of the process tweaks are specific to the variant, uh, the specific beer type that they were making that day. So they just said, so I guess a long story short is there's not one uniform way to make a beer and then remove all the alcohol. It's not like a one-size-fits-all solution, which I find very interesting. I'm intrigued about it because they were almost intentionally vague about it, but uh, it's I think it's very interesting, hmm. especially because, I mean, just tasting this one example of the product that I have here in my hand, I'm intrigued and I'm impressed. Yeah? Okay. What is that? Yep. What's... You, you, the one you talked about that was from O'Fallon. What's what's the one that you have from Athletic? Uh, I don't have one from Athletic. Oh, okay. Uh, I have a second. I have a second can from uh, from the same brewery, which um, it is it is part of O'Fallon, but uh, we'll stick with the uh, name that they're marketing under, which is Wellbeing Brewing Company. Okay. Um, this is called Heavenly Body Golden Wheat. And oh, and, and back to Athletic Brewing Company. Um, because it's a non-alcohol product, I believe, and, and, and I may just cut this out if I'm wrong here, but I believe you can go on Amazon and buy this. Well, you can for O'Doul's um, because when I okay, looked it up okay. on Google, um, one of the first things that came up was a link to, an, to Amazon. Um, so I'm not sure about Athletic, but I do know non-alcoholic beers can be uh, distributed that way. Yeah. So... It is here. Athletic Brewing Company, a run wild non-alcoholic IPA brew. Uh, you can buy a six-pack uh, of of 12-ounce cans right on Amazon. Hmm. There you That's go. That's awesome. Well, and the... Okay, so to answer the, the previous question, well, not really answer, but, allude, you know, get closer to an answer. Um, there was a question of can underage people drink O'Doul's? And well, I mean, it is non-alcoholic <laughs> beer, so you know, can and the general Just consensus. A, why? I why? I don't know, dude. But you know, the general <laughs> consensus that I saw was it one, it kind of depends state to state, and two, in most of them, the answer is no. It's still treated like beer, which leads me to believe that even though it may not be, it may be more widely available than. You know, like you know, some of the high alcohol ones or something like that. That, as far as distribution goes, it's still mostly treated like a beer, and so it's probably um, more restrictive than, say, soda distribution. Yeah, which at the end of the day does make sense. So, anyways, I guess uh, my conclusion is I have a new newfound respect for non-alcoholic beer. So. Job well done, well-being brewing company, uh, an athletic brewing company. Um, I appreciate what you're doing as well. Mm-hmm. Now, before I close this off, I will say, though, um, Halloween night, it's off. Because <laughs> I have not had a warlock yet this season. Oh, that is I true. Did, I, How are you dealing 
Like, are you just, are you, do you have a case and, and like every time you see it in the store, you're picking up like a 24 ounce bottle and you're just going to have it like stacked in your basement as far as Warlock? There may or may not, there may or may not be eight bottles of Warlock here at the house. <laughs> but definitely is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. I- Halloween night, it is on. <laughs> Local hospitals be on be on alert. Um, <laughs> Not well, it can't be because I got to go to work the next day, so I got to rein it in at least partially. So uh, you had talked about athletics being uh, slightly proprietary in their process, but we do know about we do know about standard dealcoholization processes uh, and how they work. I mean, we talked about it briefly, but do we want to go into that a little bit deeper? Um, what I have here is, yeah, either shortening the brewing process, which, uh, which would arrest fermentation early on in the process, um, and leaving a lot of sugar behind, um, or you can complete the fermentation, um, all the way through and then, uh, apply heat to the finished liquid and carefully remove the alcohol just using the, uh, the specific heat parameters. So it's kind of the opposite of distillation in that way that the, the heating true. one you know because you're heating to and 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 alcohol is going to burn off faster than um the, re- the rest of the liquid so right when, so if you if you boil that which which is essentially what you have to do in a open container like in, in not a closed system like a still is you that that alcohol the ethanol is gonna is gonna boil off a lot faster than the regular liquid. You're probably still going to lose some volume in that, but that's how traditionally and, and how honestly I think O'Doul's does it too. Is that they they essentially bring it back to a boil and, and burn off the the alcohol and leave the the beer product behind. Um, but like you said, it does definitely compromise the flavor and and the body and everything of the of the liquid. See, what I'm having a tough time piecing together is in, during a distillation process, you're left with not less alcohol, you're left with more alcohol. Right, because in the distillation so, process, what you're doing is you're capturing that evaporated ethanol. And you're leaving all the rest of the liquid behind. And you're behind. leaving the other is liquid. That right? You're leaving the other liquid behind. So you're basically doing, like I said, right. the opposite of the dealcoholization process. You're doing a alcohol enhancement process if you will so yeah yeah okay all right no i'm, I'm coming around yeah so yeah so um there's other there's another type of beer that is not quite the same category but is one that i've heard about recently that i wanted to bring up as part of this uh is table beer um Huh. Yeah, it is a it's okay. a Belgian and French style that is is one of those kind of historic styles, kind of like we talked about last time, and is a purposefully low ABV beer. So it's either called Tafel beer or beer to table, um, which I'm sure has like accents on it that I can't do. Um, okay, that is you know uh, basically somewhat in that farmhouse style. So it's going to have that Belgian French kind of feel to it, like a saison or a beer de garde, or uh, even like a triple 
will have. It'll have like a lot of those notes to it, but it's purposely left low ABV. And when I say that, I'm not saying like a session beer. I'm saying less than that, down to about one and a half to three percent ABV. So huh. yeah, and it, it initially was meant because if you remember, beer a, a large portion of why beer was was brewed initially was to purify the water in that you know you, they couldn't just pull water out of the ground and drink it it wasn't it had too many impurities so they would you know brew it and drink the beer and everybody was happy and not dying of dysentery so this <laughs> low abv style is meant to be for the kids and the, the workers that you would have on a farm and things like that that um, is is cheap, easy to make, and still goes through that water purification process to, uh, you know, make it safe and everything. And so that was kind of the origin of that table beer style. And uh, it's, it's not quite... Is this... Would this fit the category of, like, a historical beer? Oh, yeah, okay. for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, and so it's not non-alcoholic per se, you know, because non-alcoholic technically it to be below 0.5%. Right. But it is, it's low alcohol um, meant to be, meant to serve a similar purpose, frankly, to table wine, you know, yeah. that is typically yeah. low ABV and uh, not, lo- not that low because it's still wine, but um Lower ABV and meant to be kind of social drinking and and things like Would that. Would you say two to three percent? One and a half. To One 3%. and a half to three. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. And the hops are mostly a background player in this style, so it's very malt forward typically. Man, I've never. That's interesting. I've never never heard of this. It makes perfect sense though. And you're you're completely mm-hmm. right that this is fulfill this is filling a very similar um, want in the market, huh? Yeah, it, they are not very common today. Uh, again, probably for similar reasons that um, that you have with with duels and things. Yeah, yeah, not enough market, and you know people are okay with the alcohol level that are in session beers. That if they you know it's 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 like. Either be non-alcoholic or be beer. <laughs> yeah, you know the table beer is like to me. that. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. So, but you know, it is one of those historic styles that is kind of along those same veins as uh, serving the purpose that non-alcoholic beer does today. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Do you have another beer to review? No, no, uh, I don't. Um, that's going to be the one? Okay. I think that's going to be the one. Uh, All right. Actually, I, give, me a, give me a second and I'll remember what the heck that one was. All right. All right. I did drink one that I really liked, and I just need to find what it was called. If I was out in my shed, I'd just pulled out of the trash can because I drank it while I was brewing <laughs> just, yesterday. Just recently. <laughs> um, but no, it's all right. I'll, all I remember is from Ardent Brewing and it was a, a, a good a good one, but I don't remember what it was. So scrap all that, forget it happened. And uh, yeah, so no, I don't have another one to uh, to review today. 
All right. Right on. Well, you're drinking the uh, right kind of beer for the next conversation because when we come back, we're going to talk about barrel aging. Yes. And we have yes. very different opinions on this in my, I think. <laughs> so it should be an interesting conversation. All right. Well, we will be right back and we will dive in. All right. And we're back. Yeah. Welcome back to A Nice Place to Brew. I'm Jason. Still George. Still George. <laughs> and uh, we're diving into the topic of barrel aging. And George teased that this may turn into a heated debate. So, well, so yeah. Uh, you, and you I'm know, okay with that. I, I am not one to shy away from that. We all know, because I've said it a couple times and it's come up on the show before, this is not my favorite style. There's been some notable exceptions to it. Uh, cough, cough, Hardywood Christmas Stout. But that, in my mind, has been, you know, ones like that have been the exception that have proven the rule that most people do not know how to do barrel-aged beers. Okay. That's my opinion. And I'll just throw that out there and piss are, off are a you? bunch of craft brewers. <laughs> I feel like I'm about to receive a uh, very, uh, very detailed lecture about the proper way to barrel age beers. So, all right. You have some details that you want to go through here. Why don't you go through that and then we can discuss it. Sure. Okay. All right. All right, so um, a, a couple basics about uh, barrel-aging beer. Um, one is there's certain styles of beer that are much more conducive to barrel-aging than others. More specifically, beers with ABV of 8, 8% and higher are much better suited for it. The reason is because the higher ABV uh, can better withstand a harsh environment, and also oxidation is less of a problem. So breaking that down for a second, um, being inside a barrel for 6, 10, 12, sometimes even longer amount of months is not the healthiest environment by by uh, by many stretches of the imagination. Hmm. Uh, maybe it's a single-use barrel that the beer is sitting in. Maybe it's not. Maybe, uh, maybe this is a second-run or even third-run barrel. And uh, what many distilleries and breweries have done in that scenario is they've just re-soaked the wood with some other um, spirit beverage just to moisten the wood and give that more of the spirit's character that the beer is trying to uh, trying to bring on. Point to the story is, is that an ideal environment to keep a sensitive liquid like beer? The answer is no, it's not. Um, having the higher alcohol helps. Uh, it's going to be less susceptible to bringing on some of the potentially harsh flavors of that. Um, think of think of just dumping a uh, a double IPA into you know into a whiskey barrel. How awful would that be? The, the, first of all, the hop characteristics would be completely gone. 
um, well, it would be it would be oxidized, and it would it would impart this wood flavor that would that would conflict with everything every other character in the beer. It just wouldn't work on any level. Agreed. And and you had brought up a good point. You said that higher ABV beers uh, tend to be. Uh, good candidates for barrel aging, but I would add to that that maltier beers tend to be the the go to as well. I mean, if you think about it, it's typically like the barley wines, the stouts, the quads. What the common denominator there is the primary flavor is malt, not hops. Yeah, that's that's a very good point, and um, just on a very basic level, it takes a lot of malt to create those styles of beer anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain exceptions, you know, sometimes in the IPA category that you can have a lot of malt and a lot of hops. But to your point, yes, these beers are definitely built to be malt forward um, Yeah, if they're, if they're being made according to style. A double IPA, um, that can easily be above 8%. But like you said, would not be good for this. Right, Yeah. right. So going past that, um, from a single-use spirits barrel, the ABV in a finished beer can increase by up to 3% from uh, from aging in a spirits barrel. Um, I do get the impression that the true level of alcohol increase from being in a barrel uh, varies significantly depending on uh, the spirit being used, the condition of the wood, and whether or not it was... Uh, what kind of conditions it was kept in. Um, imagine 2 to 3% is probably a range that you'd want to play around with. I don't know if you'd want to rest on the idea that it would definitely be 3%. That's fair. Now, when you say uh, single use, are you referring to what, you know, in my brain, that's kind of translating to first use, like the first time you use it in the brewery from the distillery. Yes. You buy from the distillery the first time you use it. That's that's what you're calling single use, right? Well, okay, but but more than that, the distillery used that barrel one time. And then okay. emptied the barrel and moved that uh, moved that beverage into into bottles. Wait, the okay, so the distillery using it multiple times will affect cuz okay, so bourbon as we learned last time has to be first run of a barrel. Exactly. To be called bourbon, but let's right. say that you're doing this and you're 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 not doing technically bourbon. It's a whiskey barrel, which doesn't have to be first run. You know, it doesn't have to be the first time it's used. Mm-hmm. If a brewery were to use a whiskey barrel that had been used, say, two or three times to make whiskey, is that still technically a single use barrel if it's their first time using it for beer? That's a okay. I need to redo my research then. Okay. I was not <laughs> Well, I'm assuming that, you know, regardless, if it's a it, I do, I do know I, I do know this. You you couldn't put a second round of beer into a into an already used spirits barrel and get 3% um, without yeah, exactly. Right. Because and and the reason is is kind of basic because all of those uh spirit characteristics that was in the wood is not going to entirely be left behind after you have another liquid soaking in that barrel for however long. Right, because if we're anytime we're using one of these barrels, what you're trying to do is draw out the flavor that got absorbed into the wood during right. the 
you know, uh, spirit aging process. So you're trying to draw that flavor out. So the first time you use it, you're going to draw out a ton of flavor. The next time you use it for beer, you're going to draw less. It's going to take longer, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's talk about wine barrel aging. Okay. Um, You and I have very much enjoyed a Belgian quad that's been aged in red wine barrels. Mm -hmm. Um, I still say it to this day, that was a phenomenal beer, and it's one that I still think about. Um, From a single-use wine barrel, meaning... However many wines that have been in that barrel, just following what you were just saying, um, the ABV in that beer can increase by up to 2%. Um, the difference in, I mean, because the uh, ABV on wine is typically between 10 and 15%, depending on the style, mm-hmm. um, versus a spirit, which is going to be 35 to 40%. So just just the difference in the alcohol of those liquids just changes the number that it's going to impart on the beer. Right. Yep. Um, barrels. What size? Barrels come in sizes of 5, 10, 15, 25, and 55 gallon sizes. I've seen pictures online of some extreme sized uh, barrels that I'm sure are in distilleries like Jim Beam and Jack Daniels and places like that. Um, I haven't seen a number on those specific ones. But just the picture of them they they look like um they look like industrial fermenters oh wow just made of wood and ginormous yep oh wow yeah so i mean what would you know the benefit to getting a five gallon barrel versus a 55 gallon barrel what would be the difference yeah well, in a homebrew setting, who's got a setup to make 55 <laughs> gallons of beer at one point? Well, okay, fair enough. If you and I were to get a, a, a barrel, I'd say we get either 5 or 10 to, you know, because oh, we could do a double batch and fill a 10-gallon 10, 10 easy. Um, absolutely. But on a commercial setting, a 5-gallon versus a 55-gallon, the first thing that comes to my mind is a 5-gallon barrel is going to age and get those flavors and everything a lot faster right? Um, than a 55-gallon because there's more surface area that the beer is touching. But at the same right. time, that's going to be a lot more expensive because a 5-gallon beer, a 5-gallon um, barrel is not you know, 11 times cheaper than a 55-gallon barrel. No, and not to mention, just do the math. Is it um, is it 11, t- I mean, 5 times 11 is 55 gallons. Is it exactly 11 times uh, more wood from a 5-gallon to a 55-gallon? No, the answer is no. You have a lot more wood in a 5-gallon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. So it's going to be so, more expensive. I mean, Oh, oh, God, by a long shot. Yeah. By a long shot. Um, what was I going to say? Nope, continue. Okay. So, yeah, it, it depends on what are your priorities. If you want a quick turn, you know, the smaller right. barrels are, are uh, especially if you want to pilot something out. Like you want to try and you want to say, I want to brew this, put it in a barrel, see if this works. A smaller barrel is the right way to go. You can pilot it out. Once you figured that out, and you want to go to a more commercial setting. You probably want to go to the larger, larger barrels. Absolutely. Uh, another thing: buying barrels is not cheap. 
I mean, no. it's surprisingly expensive to buy barrels, regardless of what size it is. No, that's true. I've been told, and I, I don't know if I'm I'm bringing out some confidential information, but I I did hear that a number of breweries here in the local Illinois area had banded together and bought a um, full truckload of barrels, and they got a special price on said barrels, provided that they had enough demand that they could fill up a whole truckload of uh, empty barrels. So, and I can't, they, somebody had told me a price uh, per barrel once that truck was full. And I want to say, I, I don't remember the price offhand, but I want to say it was more than $100 per barrel. That sounds surprising. So just, Getting a 55-gallon yeah. well, barrel, but, I, mean, I mean, that's like 200 yeah. bucks easy, you know? Well, just, but start doing the math on that. You know, over a hundred dollars per barrel times how how many does it take to fill up a truck? Yeah, I don't know. But that's a crap load of money. Yeah, I mean that's a lot of money, and, and yeah, for sure. And that and those guys banding together—that was probably a brilliant idea. You know, it was. Oh, it was a great idea. Yeah. Oh man. So. So. Yeah. One final note about the price, though. Uh, the the price of barrels is going to vary considerably. So I'm sure if you live in the greater Kentucky area, you probably have much greater access to distillery barrels than, say, somebody in Montana. So, yeah, check your, uh, you know, just check your local resources if you're if you're interested in buying a barrel, I guess. So what about for like Ushmos that even a five gallon barrel is quite pricey? You know, what options do we have? Well, uh, you can you can band a couple of homebrewers together and uh, be like uh, what the breweries were that I was talking about a minute ago. We've done that. You can band together and uh, and and you and I have done this before. We've part- participated in group projects where we've all made five gallons of one particular batch, blended those batches together, and you have a full barrel for uh, to start aging. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's that's true. not a bad way to go. It's not. Um, is there is there risks as far as product quality with doing that? Yes, um, but I would argue that there's risk to barrel aging in general that you're that you're taking on. That's very true. So, um, so but if for somebody like me, like I'm by myself, you know, there's the the option that typically comes to mind is like either chips or cubes or spirals that can help you to kind of simulate that barrel process, right? That's that's true. Those are when we talk about alternatives and I'm glad you brought that up. Those are those are referred to as the easy alternatives for home brewers if you want to impart some kind of wood flavor into your beer. Yeah, so when we ma- we actually made a we took our triple recipe and we infused it with red wine back in right. the day. Uh, and so we took a thermos that Jason had went all um, suburban soccer mom and filled it with wine and then uh, <laughs> and then uh, threw a spiral inside of it and closed that up and how long did we let that age in there for it was like a week right gosh I really don't remember I, I, I certainly remember that project I don't remember offhand how long it was yeah well I think it was it was a little while because I remember when we pulled that out the wine that was left in that thermos was really woody oh yeah, yeah. um but anyway we uh we then took that spiral and threw it into 
the secondary uh, of our, uh, our our triple fermentation, and you know was able to get a good amount of red wine flavor into there. But I, you know, I see a drawback in that um, with the spirals and chips and things, because part yeah. of the flavor that you're getting out of a barrel is that charring aspect of the barrel itself. And unless you find a way to char the spiral or chips or cubes, you're not going to get that aspect of the. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hi, Fred. One second. Or is that, that was Fred. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> brew dogs uh, another country heard from but anyway um, you're not going to get that char aspect hang on dang nabbit sorry I don't know what they heard um, but it you know so the drawback I see is that you're not going to get the char aspect that you would out of a barrel you'll get the wood you'll get the liquid the, the liquor but you're not going to get the char aspect which it is a lot of the character that you'll see with, uh, especially like a rum, or 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 something like that. That uh, or a good, you know, full body red. That plays a big role in that. I completely agree, and that probably is a good segue to the point about sanitizing these wood products. Mm. I remember when we did that red wine spiral project that we sanitized the uh, spirals in the oven. We did. And I th- we raised the oven to a certain temperature. I want to say it was 200, 250 degrees, something like that. I think it was, I think it was right? about 250, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and it just, you're just following a, um, I mean, does that fit the category of steaming at that point? Was that the well, steaming, method? Yeah, steaming when you char a barrel, you, you, the charring acts as a big amount of protection in that so that it doesn't absorb like bacteria and things so steaming it just kind of and so it is a similar aspect it's more of a wet heat than dry heat but the 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 important part there is the heat aspect to be able to uh, clean and sanitize what's going on correct the same thing that you would do in a, in a regular boil right exactly yeah so right one po- one final point about that it is not recommended that you use star sand to sanitize wooden elements yeah that's just not going to be effective right yeah right george's feeling about barrel age beers is <laughs> too often overdone oh, too often all right so my <laughs> feeling about barrel age beers is very similar to my feeling about ipas 99 times out of 100 people screw it up ipas they turn it into this hot bomb that's a palate destroying mess of nonsense. And um, barrel aging, they completely forget that it's a beer and all you taste is whatever was in the barrel and you and you don't you don't taste the beer at all. So like you, you drink a bourbon barrel beer and all you taste is the bourbon. You do not taste the beer at all. And that's that's my feeling on it is that if you're going to it's it's the same same thing I've said about flavored beers is that if you're gonna make a bourbon barrel beer, you have to remember your primary part is not the bourbon barrel, it's the beer. It has to still be a beer at the end of the day. I agree with everything you just said. 
Okay, so maybe this won't be contentious, but this will not. Be, this will not be contentious. No, no, I, 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 I agree with just about everything you just mentioned. The the point that I will echo most of all is the fact about how overwhelming barrel aged beers can become. Um, an eight plus percent beer that's going to take on another three percent just from barrel aging. That's a whole lot that you've got going yeah, on there. that's a whole lot of alcohol and there's not flavor. a lot of those flavors. It's a lot of alcohol flavors, and there's not going to be much left over from that because nothing else is really just going to survive, you know, being um, among a wooden barrel that's surrounded by spirits for however long it's been, it's been aging mm-hmm. for. Um, I think it too often becomes uh, overwhelming, and the best elements that you like about beer – end up being lost. Uh, George, neither George or I are, are hop, you know, hop fanatics, but we certainly would agree that there's certain hop flavor, flavors that we enjoy, mm-hmm. none of which we would ever taste in a barrel-aged beer. Um, malt flavors, we both are big fans of. Styles like amber ales, porters, stouts, marzens, you know, being that we're right in October, that's appropriate. Those flavors are great, mm-hmm. and the best of those flavors would be lost in a barrel. So my take on it, if you're going to barrel-age a beer, keep it short, keep it light as possible, and do what you can to not overwhelm the rest the rest of the beer. Right. And know, of course, ahead of time that 99% of those examples are going to be just that. Yeah. Overwhelmed. Absolutely. So here's the way I look at it is, is I have this saying is that I think the worst thing that ever happened to computer technology is marketing and public relations. I think it's the worst thing that ever happened. The term cloud is just somebody else's computer. There's no such thing as the cloud. It's nonsense. Don't, you know. And, and I, lo- I think about IPAs and barrel-aged beers the same way. They have become victims of marketing. They People want that dank IPA or that barrel-aged <laughs> beer where they really want to taste the barrel. And so it becomes yeah. one of those things that is a, a, a marketing trick and ploy that if you really are a you're not even not even not even a beer snob but it, like somebody that really enjoys drinking beer uh, you know somebody that is on the verge of calling themselves a connoisseur it's just not appealing you know it's it is it, you want to tr- taste the subtleties of the different flavors mixing together you want to taste how a uh, how uh, the barrel can accentuate the flavors of a barley wine, which are already kind of spirity in nature. And you want to see how that can accentuate that. And you want to see how they can play together and not, okay, well now I'm just tasting, you know, wild turkey in beer form. You know, that's not, that's not fun, <laughs> you know? So, and, and that's Agreed. why when we, you know, we've tried a few and, and the ones that really stand out in my mind are the ones that we talked about earlier. Orenda from Pollyanna is just fucking brilliant. It's a quad aged in red wine barrels and the balance in that is spectacular. And yep. the, um, the Christmas stout from Hardywood, which is their gingerbread stout, um, aged in barrels with some coffee in there too. And you taste all of those notes. You taste coffee, you taste bourbon, 
you taste stout and the gingerbread, you taste all of those notes and they play well together. And all right, this is where we're going to get contentious. Ooh. Okay, go ahead. Uh-huh. All right. We've had this conversation off the show and now it's coming up on the okay. show. I contend that the non-barrel aged version of that beer you're talking about is way better. Way better than the barrel really? version. Really? It's not even close. Do you think that the barrel overwhelms the flavor? Yes. Okay. Yes, I okay. do. I mean, the that beer, that's one of the best beers I've ever had of any style. That beer is amazing. Is. Amazing. You know, the bread flavors, the, the holiday flavors. I mean, you talk about a beer that does exactly what it's set out to do. And non-barrel aged, I think that came right in at 8%. Some, I think so, so yeah. I mean, that's, that's a prime area that you could barrel age. But, it, I mean, why play around with that? Yeah. I mean, when you have, when you have just this perfect combination of ingredients, which is what they did with that beer, why? Well... It's just no point. Okay, so let me say this. Does it need to be barrel-aged? No. I think standalone as the gingerbread stout, it's a brilliant beer. But I will say that I think in terms of does the barrel-age overwhelm it or does it balance it and things, I think that it's a good example of a balanced barrel-age beer where you still are able to taste all those notes. Now, whether or not the non-barrel-aged okay, and the barrel-aged are better – that's up for a little bit of debate, and 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 and, okay. I, and we've never done this, but I think we should is do a side by side, barrel aged, non barrel aged, and really kind of put them head to head a little bit. Okay, I yeah. like it. So I will. So you're driving up to Hardywood in, in November? November? Yeah, absolutely, I will. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> All right. And, <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. on. Um, so we'll do that and. You know our, that'll be our Christmas special, as it were. Um, oh, that's fantastic! But, uh, but you know, like I said, is it a, is it a really good example? I mean, would you do you agree with that? That is still a good example of a balanced barrel aged beer. I, I will gently agree with okay. that. Is it the greatest example of a um, balanced barrel aged beer? No, maybe, maybe Probably. not. Yeah, but. I don't. I don't have a glaring example that's coming to my mind of one that really balanced out well. Okay. You know what's one thing that's playing around in my head right now is I feel like all of the Bourbon County fans are just like closing in, ready to beat the <laughs> crap out of both of us. Yeah. Oh, damn it! Jeez. Do you have a deer in the backyard or something? I don't know what it is. They just decided they need to bark at everything. Um, but no. Okay. So I was just looking up if Mamal's had a barrel aged variant. Oh God, that would be horrific. You think so? That would be horrific. What would peach taste like surrounded by bourbon? Have you never had peaches poached with bourbon? Uh, no. you should. It's delicious. <laughs> um, I'm not quite. I'm not quite. Quite ready to soften my stance just yet. No. But 
All right, I'm a little bit intrigued. But no, it Let's doesn't appear to have a barrel-aged variant. Um, but but okay. yes, you absolutely okay. should try that because it's delicious. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, but but yeah, I, so maybe this isn't as contentious as it may be other people out there in the world are like, the hell's wrong with you. But um, Oh, 100% yeah, there are. But, and that's yeah, okay. No, absolutely. That's, and yeah, this, that's right. this is very subjective. You know, is there there are people that really love the you know the 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 hit and the burn because I mean you still get that bourbon burn from a barrel aged you know bourbon barrel aged beer. Um, oh, of course. And, and there are people who love that. And for most of them, I say try sipping a bourbon, like an actual bourbon. Like you, oh, you, you probably will really no, jam the, on that, but. <laughs> I'm I'm a hundred percent on board with that. That's exactly the advice I would yeah. give to that person. There is some really good whiskey and bourbon. Oh out yeah, there. absolutely. So, um, but yeah, so that's my opinion. Is that much like IPAs? Most people get it wrong. Not, a, not as contentious. no, no. I, I thought you did. You were going to disagree with me and and defend them a little bit. No, but, you know that's yeah. No, all right. No, I'll certainly go to bat for my imperial stouts. Um, I, I definitely enjoy those. Uh, the, the barrel age. Yeah. I've, I don't know if my taste palettes have changed over the last couple of years, but I do feel like my, uh, opinion about the barrel age beers has solidified and As into not being a big fan or yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that. Does that mean that I will not I will not be standing out on a corner on Black Friday waiting for uh, the release of Bourbon County? Yeah, probably not. Bourbon Bourbon County's not bad. Now there is one of those. Isn't is Dark Lord a? Does that have a barrel variant? Uh, I think so. Okay. You know my feeling on Dark Lord in general. I think overblown I, yes. and and yes. and bad most of the time. Uh, yes. And yes. Um. But yeah, so okay. All right. Um, so I mean, that's that's so, basic bourbon barrel stuff. That you know, that kind of our opinion and kind of how you would uh, produce that. But uh, I, I we, one of the things we haven't talked about in the past couple of shows. What have you made recently? You know, is there any actual homebrew to this homebrew show? Oh, from yeah. my end. Oh, I've got about close to 30 gallons of wine. That is, okay, what kind? <laughs> that is being worked on. Uh, let's see. We've got uh, Concord Blush, Concord Red, and we have a Foch Red. And I could show you pictures of just the volume that's going right now. And Okay, so for the... I didn't quite... For the non-winemakers, can you... Uh, yeah. Bl- you said Blush, uh, and, and what were the other ones? Two reds. Two reds. Okay, so one's one's a very deep red. One's not quite as deep. Okay, so the, you said a Concord blush. So what is that? Uh, con- okay, so we uh, we took two different um, two uh, different um, volumes of Concord grapes, and with those same grapes, we juiced one uh, one round of them, and then we left the skins in the other one. Now, just some basics about winemaking. If you leave the skins in uh, with the rest of the uh, wine juices during fermentation, you add color. 
and that's what that's what makes the difference between white wines and red okay. wines. So that's left a nice dark blush color in uh, in that um, in that wine. So uh, I just racked that over to uh, secondary yesterday, the um, the the blush mm-hmm. one, and it's looking really good. It's it's uh, sitting in a gravity of ten twelve right now. Uh, I can't remember off off the top of my head what the original gravity was, but so, it's going to be a really really. So nice. if I were to compare blush to like a cabernet, is it darker or lighter or? lighter a and lot it's because lighter. you're 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 basically kind of mixing a part of white with part of red in the in this because you're you're leaving you're peeling some and not peeling others right or well it, it's i mean you you're you're separating both of them entirely okay so it's just what they have in common is the same grape. okay but on one side you have no skins at all you just juice everything and that's all you take back with you. And then the other side, you just throw into buckets with all the skins and all the pits and all that. So when you make the so, blush, do you then blend that? Is that a blend? The blush? No, no. no. The, okay. The blush. The blush is exactly that, with uh, with, with the skins. With the blush the skins. is what's le- is what's left over after you know after the fermentation is done. Okay. So, so how is so that it, different so would, than like a standard red wine? Uh, okay, well, the the grape itself is not dark enough to impart a full uh, full red color. Okay, um, and just you know, it's different varieties give you know have different uh, lova bonds, just like caramel malt. It's kind of the same concept. Okay, that makes sense. All right, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm not a so, I'm not a wine ga- I'm not a wine that's, maker. No, that's yeah. okay. That's okay. Um, I would compare the blush to kind of like a non-carbonated rosé. I was wondering if it was similar to a rosé, because I know yeah. that kind of a, a lighter, kind of pinkish color. Exactly. Exactly. Right. That's that's the best comparison I could give. Okay. So so it's going well. Uh, yeah. I'm excited about it. Uh, the last thing I brewed was the Autumn Stout, which we talked about in the last episode when we were in Kentucky. Um. And the weather here in the Midwest is starting to get real crappy real quick. So uh, I told jo- uh, George right uh, right before we uh, started the show that I do hope that I'll have one brew day left in me. Um, but I still got the last of sober October to go through. And I got to keep my fingers crossed that early November is not horrible. Well, and this is what I was going to say earlier. You you know you can't brew in October because it takes a lot of good beer to make great beer. Yeah. And if you can't have good beer, you can't make great beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Candy and I talked about that too. It's like, yeah, could I could I justify making a beer during sober October and not enjoying a beer? <laughs> That's it just like doesn't, that just doesn't feel right, and that's not to offend your Catholic sensibilities, but that's like stocking up on fish during Lent. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> so, all right, so you're trying you're trying to get one more in. Um, for me, actually, yesterday I made uh, I, I did some brewing myself. Uh, I made a wee heavy, uh, and so my recipe was for a five-gallon recipe. I used eighteen pounds of Golden Promise uh, pale malt, 
uh, half an half a pound of uh, 300 SRM, three actually closer to about 350 SRM roasted barley, and this was for a 90 minute boil, so it was a lot of water. My uh, 10 gallon mash tun full to the brim, like it was. <laughs> it was like 9.7 gallons full of 10 and so it was uh it, it, it was pushing the limits of that um so i made that did a, did a nice long sparge i think it took me about an hour and a half to sparge all of that and okay. um and then I uh, did my boil, my, nine, my 90-minute boil. At the 60-minute mark, I threw in uh, two ounces of East Kent Golding to get up to about 30 IBUs for that. So all in all, um, I did pretty good on my numbers, actually. I For such a high ABV, because uh, I was targeting 8%, I, I, I was a little surprised at the amount you know, how close I was able to get with the numbers. Because uh, I ended up with five and a half gallons, which is a little bit more than I expected for my batch size. In fact, I, I dumped some because I didn't have room in my fermenter. And my original gravity estimate from the recipe was 1089. I got to 1086. So that's a, that's a job well done. Yeah, I was very uh, that happy really with is. that. It, yeah. it came out to about 70% efficiency. Did um, you have a sugar addition? I did not. It was all grain. So you got 1085 uh, out of just simply grain. That's No, that's commendable. Yeah, it's almost 19 pounds of grain. So it was a lot Jeez. of grain to, to throw <laughs> at that. Uh, now, I do th- the estimated final is 1029. So this is going to be a very sweet, malty... Um, you know, beer as a as a wee heavy typically is for the style. Yeah, what um, kind of yeast? Oh yes. Oh, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, it's uh, Scottish ale. It's Y yeast uh, seventeen twenty eight. Okay. Uh, and then I did supplement with a little bit of USO five. Okay, not a bad move. Yeah, it's it, neutral yeast and everything, and, and it's just because I, even though I did a starter, I could not do enough of a starter with the equipment I have to have enough, you know, yeast cells to be able to c- cover it. So I did throw. Did you just in, not have enough time. Is that uh, is that what it was? Pretty much, yeah. And and okay. my, uh, okay. I only have a two liter flask, and in order to make enough, I really needed like a four liter flask. Um, so I just, I didn't have enough, uh, the space in the starter. So, um, I did, I did this Mac pack. I did, I did a little bit of a starter, uh, and then I supplemented with the USO five to kind of make sure that there was enough yeast to, to get it going and, and make sure I wasn't under pitching. Okay. Um, okay. but yeah, so I'm hoping by the end I'll have, you know, somewhere between seven and a half and 8%. And uh, I should have a good. Uh, the color looks great. Uh, it's it's just now kicked off uh, about midday today in my fermenter, and I've got uh, I've got firm cap in there. So you know, since I'm using the catalyst, and I don't want it to blow out. Um, but even so, I'm still getting I'm still getting that very thin croissant starting to develop, and I think that it's going to uh, ferment along pretty well. You said you did have a blow off. No, no, no. I don't want it to blow out. I'm using a uh, an airlock on the top oh. of the um, 
on the, on the top of the cap. Oh, oh, that's okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. No firm cap. Okay. No, my brain just came around to that. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. That yeah. was a good move. Yeah. Cause without yeah. that, you're going to blow off for sure. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's about a six and a half gallon fermenter and I've got five and a half gallons of liquid in there. Um, okay. so without the firm cap, I definitely would blow it out. Yeah, so um, without 1085 beer and that much yeast yeah for sure yeah for sure so I, i'm still keeping an eye on it just to be sure um but the firm <laughs> cap seems to be keeping the foam under control and everything like i said is going along pretty well good, good. yeah so uh i think we talked offline about the hop spider so mm, was this yeah. your first beer that you've made post leaving the hop spider behind it's actually my second one. My APA that I made um, was my first one that I where I left the hop spider behind. Um, so, are you just using mesh bags for the hops now? I'm actually not using any uh, anything. Oh, uh, I, I'm, oh, okay. I'm using the catalyst to its fullest p- potential and just allowing it to. Okay. You know, okay. Capture that yeast in the in the in the mason jar at the bottom, and. Uh, and that's that's the way I'm going at this point. Okay, right on. Yeah, right on. So, well, a job well done, sir. Well, thank uh, you. You got the hardest thing out of the way when you got uh, you pulled 1085 out of all those all those grains. Yeah, so, no kidding. Very well done. Well, and I I, I uh, attribute that a little bit to my new. I got I got one of those two roller mills, and uh, it's called an Evil Twin. And the one I have, I might need to get adjusted because I've got a little bit of wobble in the moving roller, and the idle roller's fine. The moving roller, I've got a little bit of wobble in there. Um, so I was able to get a really good grind on it. I think it might have been a little too fine because my sparge at one point towards the end did get stuck and needed a little bit of help. Um, but I think that really helped my efficiency. All right. Yeah. Nice. So, you ready for a trivia question? Oh, yeah, hit me. All right. So, going back to Sober October for a second. uh, 14 days in, one of the things that I have rediscovered over the last 14 sober days that I've had is my love for root beer. Mm -hmm. And root beer has not made an appearance on this show. Uh, root beer is not a beverage that I quickly reach for, but it has been one that I've reached for um, during Sober October. I have found in one of my local stores a uh, Chicago-style root beer that's made from Wit Beverage Company out of Redding, California, and it's just called WBC, Chicago-style root beer. This stuff is absolute bliss. Mm. I mean, it is just amazing. Um, for anybody who's had a root beer float before and has enjoyed a root beer float, this this root beer tastes like there's ice cream right in it. Oh, I'm not wow. joking. Okay. Yeah, it's awesome. So anyways, I've got five facts here about root beer. Number one, root beer is made out of 16 roots and herbs. Second fact is colonists were actually the first people to make root beer. Colonists that uh, made their way here to uh, here to North America. Okay. Third fact: the A and W or A and W in the A and W root beer stands for Allen and Wright for Roy Allen and Frank Wright. 
Fourth fact, um, Hires Root Beer was introduced by Charles Hires in 1876 in Philadelphia's Centennial Exposition. And then the last fact is the most original ingredient in root beer was sassafras. And I think I think I think many people will probably recognize that because when it because sassafras is a common term that you hear around root beer and the in the production process around mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, here's a trivia question, and this is root beer related. The question is: root beer accounts for what percentage of America's soft drink market? There's oh, four geez. choices here, but just ponder that for a second. The soft drink market, which is going to include all the sodas and all that, all that stuff. Okay, so so just but hang on before you go forward. Um, do we have an idea of what we're classifying as root beer? Does it specifically have to be called root beer? Or I've had some people that have said that Dr Pepper is root beer because that's going to affect the answer. <laughs> We're gonna go with no. Okay, Dr. Right, Pepper right. is not root beer for this for this topic. Okay, um, I have not heard that, and not talking bad about Dr. Pepper, but I just yeah, Dr. Pepper is. I think root beer is a different animal. That's my take on it. I, I would. Agree. I, I also th- I, I also would uh, would draw a distinction between root beer and cream soda. Oh, absolutely, two totally yeah. different things. And birch right. beer and root beer, two totally different things. Right, exactly. Yeah. So now that we've narrowed down the field of what root beer is, mm-hmm. I think we can kind of put a framework around the numbers. Okay. So is it 1% of America's soft drink market? Is it 3%, 5%, or 7%? I say 3%. Yeah, the answer's 3 Yeah, you got it. So, yeah, 1% seemed too low. But the other yeah. one seemed like there might be too high. So, yeah. So one of the, I'm not sure if you've ever heard heard about it, but there's a town in Pennsylvania called Kutztown, and it's a college town. Um, but one of the things they are known for is root beverages, uh, cream soda, root beer, birch beer. Um, they are known for for making that. that. And um, oh. it's the Kutztown Beverage Company, and it's some of the best um, root beer and root sodas I've had uh, ever at this point. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, next time you're around, we can run over and uh, the stores around here have it, and, and you can oh, they do. give oh, it a try. Okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, we'll t- I'll take yeah. you up on that. That'd be great to try. Yeah, it's uh, they're they're very good, and it's one of those things I want to experiment with myself. I just bought, I did pull the trigger on, and I think you sent sent you a picture of it, a two gallon ball lock keg. Yes, yes, you did. It looks okay. it looks fantastic. Yeah, it's gorgeous, uh, and I found a pretty good deal on it too. And uh, uh, just so everybody knows, it cost me about seventy five dollars. Um, That's okay. You did pretty good. Yeah, uh, and I, I had a, a gift card from uh, from my birthday that just came by not too long ago. So I used that and decided to just get you know splurge and take and get that because I would never buy it for myself because I'm cheap when it comes to myself. So <laughs> I did. I got that, and one of the things I want to experiment with is making small batches of soda, and 
So when you're making root beer, there's a couple different ways you can do it. The easy way is to get basically the syrup from your homebrew supply shop. And then it's a matter of just adding some sugar, adding some water, boiling, cooling, kegging, carbonating. And it's a perfectly valid way to go. Um, but if you want to get slightly more complicated with it, there's recipes you can find out there where you actually buy the roots and there's stores where you can buy the roots and you can, uh, you, you essentially just boil the roots for a while and it creates the same kind of flavor that you would get out of, uh, you know, the, the, the syrups and, and, and extracts. And then you add your sugar and you, and you, you know, yeah, as you're boiling, and then you cool, and you and you keg, and you carbonate, because that's I'm, I'm seeing I'm seeing distinctions between extract brewing and all grain brewing when you're describing that. It's very similar. Now there is no such thing as a a mash stage when it comes to root beer making. It's all it's basically all boiling. So it's kind of like right. It's kind of like partial um, or brew in a bag sort of. You know and mm-hmm. where you're where you're doing it all in the in the pot, but it, it is it, there is a lot of parallels between all grain and extract brewing, and more specifically, just the 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 act of boiling roots to create that syrup that you would potentially just buy in a in a jar somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's that's where I'm getting that that um, correlation with um, traditional grain mashing. Absolutely. So I so I, I hear what you're saying that there's there's not a mash stage so to speak. Yeah, but. You know, that's that's doing it the long traditional way is to boil the actual roots. Yeah. So, so like, no, I, I see it. So like I said, now that I have that small keg, I want to try that out and just make like a gallon at a time. Because the other part of it, too, is you have to when you're doing these sodas, especially like a root beer, you want to carbonate it almost three vols, which is usually fairly high pressure at fairly low temperature. Um, so I would rather do that on a smaller scale, burn through less CO2. And just in case it turns out terribly, you know, you're not throwing too much good stuff after bad. (laughs) Good point. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely something I want to experiment with. That's awesome. No, I'm starting to, I'm starting to have some ideas of that myself. I'm not quite ready to pull the trigger yet, but I'm intrigued. Yeah. So more to come. Absolutely. More to come on that on that topic. All right. All right. Before we close out, um, let's uh, give out our social media links, www.aniceplacetobrew.com. Um, check us out on social media, Facebook and Instagram at uh, A Nice Place to Brew and Nice Place to Brew. And uh, we're on Twitter as well at, uh, at Nice Place to Brew. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're still looking for our first iTunes review. So uh, <laughs> the time of this recording is the 14th of October. Um, if you, uh, if you want to see Jason, uh, break from sober October early, um, yeah, put it out there. If you want to see Jason break from sober October uh, early, I will consider, (laughs) I'm not committing to it, but I say I will consider breaking my sober October commitment. Okay. That's because I want I want I want the reviews. If I go so, out and leave a review, if that's not a call to action, then I don't know what is. But the problem is, if I go out and leave a review, you're going to know it's me. So I somebody else has know. to so, do yeah, it. George, yeah, you're, you're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Do I have any any last any last notes? Anything I'm forgetting? I don't think so. We hit all the all the different parts. You know, the only thing that we're forgetting is that it still takes a lot of good beer to make great beer. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Here. <laughs> <laughs> uh.